You're listening to the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast, session number one, all about risks. So let's dance. Welcome to the Seminary of Hard Knocks, a podcast designed to help you lead with confidence and clarity. These are practical solutions for your ministry that you probably didn't learn in seminary. Now, let's join your host, Seth Muse, who has about 27 cents in his pocket. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast. I'm your host, Seth Muse. I am so glad you're here with me today because I've got to tell you about the time that I met Chuck Norris at an eighth grade girls basketball game. Yeah, that's what I said. I met Chuck Norris at an eighth grade girls basketball game. So I'm working at this huge church and I've got like this celebrity pastor and then my boss is directly over me. I was in the junior high department. And so some of my kids were having a game and uh, the celebrity pastors, kids were on the team. And so I thought, uh, maybe I should go see a game or something. And so my boss was like, Hey, we're, I'm going. So why don't you come with me? And so I went, I brought my wife and my kids and we were there in the, in the stands and we're sitting next to this celebrity pastor. So it's me, then my boss and then celebrity pastor. That's what I'm gonna call him. Cause I don't want you to know who he is, but, uh, just to protect him and all that. But, uh, he was sitting there and his wife, who's awesome is, is holding my baby and she's talking to us and it was just a really great experience. And I'm watching these girls play ball. And then my boss leans over to me and says, Hey, by the way, in just a second, Chuck Norris is going to walk through those doors and come up here and sit with us. And I just looked at him like you probably would too and say, yeah, okay, seriously, are you kidding? And he's like, no, no, seriously, he's coming in. The Chuck Norris, the Chuck Norris is going to be here. And I said, well, how are they going to set off the pyro in this place? I mean, he's obviously going to be uh, escorted by Bengal tigers. That Won't they attack the children? I mean, this is Chuck Norris. Oh my gosh, are you, are you serious? He's coming in this gym. How is he going to come in here and just be a regular dude? That's not going to happen. That's Chuck Norris. And so, lo and behold, just a few minutes after that, here comes this guy in this jeans, boots, Walker, Texas Ranger size belt buckle, and he's wearing like a shirt and tie with a blazer, and man, beard and all, it is Chuck Norris. And it's like, oh, he, he walks in and everybody kind of looks and goes, is that seriously Chuck Norris? And as he's approaching, I turn to my boss and go, I'm going to ask him if he'll roundhouse kick me in the face. And he just looked at me like, why would you ask him to do that? Don't, don't embarrass me, Seth. Don't embarrass me. And I was like, well, that's kind of what I'm here for. So I'm going to do it. And he goes, why would you want to ask him to roundhouse kick you in the face? And I said, if I survive, because I mean, let's be honest, most people don't survive roundhouse kicks in the face from Chuck Norris. If I survive, when I wake up later next week and I get to come back to work, people are going to be like, dude, what happened to you? And I can be like, Chuck Norris kicked me in the face. And they'll be like, no way. And I say, seriously, look, here's a boot print right here. It says Texas made right on my face. And so I was excited to tell that story. So Chuck Norris comes up and he sits down next to us in the bleachers. And so my boss is, is, uh, introducing him and, and, and said, hi, how you doing? And so my, my celebrity pastor said, yeah, and this is Seth. And I'm like, Hey, how you doing? Good to meet you. I shook his hand and then I turned back around and kept watching the game. Epic fail. I did not ask Chuck Norris to kick me in the face. I did not say anything else to him the whole game. I completely chickened out. And it's embarrassing to say that because that is the truth. I completely chickened out of that experience. I could have had some really cool stories and I didn't get them. And the reason I didn't do it is because I was afraid. I mean, because let's be honest, that's a, that's a real fear. We should really have that fear. I mean, Chuck Norris, if he was to kick me in the face, I could have died. 
What if he didn't get the joke and he just said, all right, well, your funeral and bam, Seth is gone for a week. What, what if he'd done that? What if he had killed me or hurt me? I mean, obviously he wouldn't punch me, but cause you know, death doesn't really come around Chuck Norris. He's already had a near Chuck experience himself. So he's not going to get near that guy. But what if I didn't had, had had him kick me and gotten that experience? That would have been really cool, but I didn't do that. And the reason I didn't do that is because I was afraid. If I had taken that risk, I would have had a way better payoff of telling you this story, and you would have been a lot more excited to hear the end of it. Yeah, you know, where like Seth and Chuck Norris are best friends, and we like hang out and fight crime and evil aliens together. But we don't do that because I chickened out and missed an incredible opportunity. And you know what? In ministry, a lot of things are like that. And we, we run sometimes down the path that is most safe for our ministry, whether that is because we're afraid of something or we're going to keep a job or we're trying to look out for somebody else and we're just we're trying to play it safe for one, one reason or another. Today, I want to tell you there are four fatal, sorry, four Chuck Norris risks to running a safe ministry that uh, we just need to avoid because uh, it can really, it can really just derail the whole reason that we're here. And I want to start with this simple example that Jesus himself is not safe. Jesus himself is not safe. Jesus could have easily avoided the cross. He could have said, this is, this is really isn't my bag. I'm not going to do this. He prayed in the garden, not my will, but yours be done to his father and, and went to the cross. He went into the temple courts and he taught openly when he knew that Pharisees and others were going to be against what he said, they were not going to be pleased with what he had to say. And he certainly did not shy away from those conversations. And it definitely made them angry, angry enough to devise a plan to kill him. So Jesus himself is not safe. And I remember an interesting story where Jesus gets so mad at money changers that he goes and makes a weapon, comes back in and just quote, clears the temple. Now, did he hit people? Did he hit animals? I don't know. But Jesus is wrecking shop and he is walking through that place and saying, this is not okay because Jesus is not safe. I love that story and the way that uh, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, when Lucy is asking Mr. Tumnus, is, is Aslan the lion figure, which is clearly uh, the Jesus character? Is he, is he safe? And, and Mr. Tumnus says, of course he's not safe, but he is good. And I love that about how they describe Christ in that story, because that's a really good description of how he is. Safe ministry can become a navel-gazing, inwardly focused, kind of boring place to be, honestly, all in the name of good discipleship or in the, good, in, in the name of education or whatever. And so today I want to give you just four real quick risks of a safe ministry and what it can do. I want to show you, tell you what it might look like if your ministry is playing it safe. And from there, you can do an assessment on your own. So let's jump into it. First of all, first fatal risk to running a safe ministry is that there will be no progress. There will be no progress. Now, what I mean by progress is not progress like the culture would say is progressive. I'm not trying to say that we stick with biblical truth and we we hammer it down because that doesn't change, but our methods do. And so what I mean by progress is that there will be no reaching of new people that we were not currently reaching. So if there's progress in your ministry, then you're reaching people you were not reaching before because our, our message doesn't change, but our method should. And the method changed so that we can reach new people in different places with the gospel. And that takes some risk because sometimes the places where people who need the gospel are, are not very safe places. They're not very savory places, not places you want to take your kids or not places you want to be yourself. And sometimes we have to be willing to risk and go in there and get them 
And you know what? That's what Jesus did. Jesus did that. So maybe it's time for us to maybe do something risky. How about you cancel your worship service on a Sunday and have your whole church go out and, and organize ways to serve the community? How about you do something risky like that? Or you take the big rock band that you normally have up on the stage and you and you dole it down to an intimate, let's just do piano and, and acoustic or let's have some acapella singing. Let's do something a little different. Let's do a more liturgy. Or if you're a liturgical church, let's do something a little different. Let's do something a little bit more uh, upbeat than we normally do. Or let's change things around a little bit and start, try to reach people that we don't normally reach. Now, um, that pattern of being safe, that pattern is not in scripture. The non-progressive pattern. Jesus comes in and says, hey, I know I've told you guys to do this whole Jewish sacrificial system and all the law. It's great. It tells us that there's a need for salvation, that you have sin in your life and you need some kind of Messiah. So you've been looking for that, right? Hey, ta-da, here I am. Let's change how we do some things because now we're in a new covenant and now we're in a new place. So Jesus is the element of change for us. He is the element of life change. That's what we expect of people that come to know Christ. Why do we not expect it of our ministries? We expect to be reaching new people with the same old stuff and it just doesn't work that way. That's not how the world is. That's my opinion. Feel free to disagree in the comments. Now, second, risk of a safe ministry is there will be no enthusiasm. No enthusiasm. And what I mean by this is not that there won't be just excitement and happiness and things like that, but there will be no enthusiasm about the right things. Oh, there will be enthusiasm, but it will be about the wrong things. So there will be no enthusiasm about the right things. And here's, what, here's one way you can figure it out. What do your people argue most about? What are the concerns they bring to you most? Does it have to do with inwardly focused stuff? Is it like the band's too loud or I don't like it when it's dark in here? Or is it that I don't really like how this person dresses? Can we say something to them because it's too whatever? Or, you know, the, the guy at the front, he's, he's calling everybody honey babe or whatever, which you probably should say something to that guy. You know who you are. So um, what is it that you argue about? I ask you that because what you really have people talking about within your church kind of is a way to put your finger on the pulse of what we're enthusiastic about. And if we're not enthusiastic about sharing the gospel and taking some risks out with the people that need to hear Jesus, uh, we've got a little bit of a problem because maybe we've played it a little safe. It's caused people to be really inwardly focused on what is happening inside the church rather than how to get the church outside and to the people where they are. Which brings me to the third risk of a safe ministry, that there will be no mobilization. There will be no mobilization or little mobilization. Now, people get excited about stuff and they do what they want to do and they get moving on it. But I'm saying again, no mobilization about the important things. Safe ministry never really goes outside a comfort zone to share the gospel. Safe ministry never has stories that people want to tell about the risk. Like, hey, at work, my friend came over and was really hurt. They broke up with their boyfriend or girlfriend and were asking questions. And I said, well, here's, you know, here's a relationship that never goes away. This is Jesus, et cetera. And they accepted Christ. You don't have those kinds of stories. Or you don't have stories about like, hey, this homeless guy was on the street. I brought him in, fed him and shared the gospel. He'd never heard it before. And now he's here this morning for church. You know, that kind of stuff, that's gospel risk. That's exciting. And when you don't have something 
that's pointed towards the kingdom of God to get mobilized about, they, people will mobilize. I mean, they'll mobilize to get an elder off the elder board, or they'll mobilize to get rid of a person or change a ministry or launch a ministry they care about, and you'll have a ballet ministry before you know it, and you don't know why or who's going to it, but you're paying for it, and a lot of money's going to it in the budget, and man, isn't it nice that they can all go in there and dance? So you'll have something like that happening, but mobilization towards the gospel is what we're after. That's the mission. That's the great commission that Jesus left for us. So safe ministry doesn't go outside that comfort zone. And we've got to start doing the kinds of things that matter. And so when you have a no, when you have no mobilization in your church, what you have is that a lot of people are excited about stuff that's just not important. And, and they're moving towards things and they're moving all in a bunch of different directions. There's a church nearby here that has relaunched, rebranded, and done all that stuff. I don't care if you like that word or not. They rebranded. They're redoing how they do church, basically. And they've said, we're going to bring gospel risk to every relationship. I love that. Bringing gospel risk to every relationship because it means that no matter where you are, bring the gospel and take a risk to bring the gospel. It, it focuses people all on the same stuff. And man, when I visited that church, I've been there twice. And I can't tell you how many times a staff person or a lay person have all just said that sentence to me at least once. Because they're all getting it. And they're talking about it from the stage. And they're understanding this is what we're about as a church. I love it. If you want to visit that church, that's the Heights in Richardson. It's an awesome place. You should go. So anyway, Gospel Risk is bringing gospel risk to every relationship is a, is a great way to get mo people mobilized in the right direction. But if you have a safe ministry, you're not going to be doing that. They're not going to be taking those things. They're going to be looking inwardly, which brings me to my fourth, my fourth risk of running a safe ministry is that it is a failure to recognize the sovereignty of God. When we run a safe ministry, it means we're making decisions that are kind of helpful for the inside, but the church wasn't meant to be helpful for those just inside. It's meant to grow those within inside in order to make them go outside. And if there is no going outside, then we're not following in the great commission of what God has told us to do. And what that says to us is that we are too afraid or we are not on mission or we're not thinking that God has this under control. It really is a, a, a failure to understand God's sovereignty because let's face it, sometimes God asks us to do things that are risky he asked us to talk to people we wouldn't talk to, have relationships with people that we're not interested in having relationships with. And going to churches, we don't like the music, and we got to keep going there. And you know what? God has asked us to do some risky things because He is in control and has a bigger picture in mind. And so if God asks us to do something that it seems a little bit risky, here's my question. Is it really that risky if God is truly sovereign? I'll say that again. Is it really that risky if God is truly sovereign? Because if you see it as too much risk that even if God tells you, then my question is, why don't you believe that God is sovereign enough and big enough to handle that for you? My dad was this basketball coach in, in high school. and he, he coached high school girls. And he told me this story once. He had this player and uh, she was an incredible basketball player. Her name was Cheryl. And he told me once that this is the only girl he's ever coached that could jump up and grab the rim with two hands. Now, I don't know about you, but in high school, <laughs> it's East Texas, there's not a whole lot of girls that can do that, right? So he's got an incredible player on his team, but she knew it. She knew she was awesome. She knew she was the player, and there was a time where dad had just had enough of it, and he said, you know what, if you don't like what I'm, how to run, I'm telling you to run this play, if you don't like how I'm running this team, you can hit the showers. 
And he took a great risk at telling his best player to, to hit the showers and get out of here. And you know what she did? She hit the showers. She quit the team. And later dad was like, Hey, I shouldn't have done that. You know, he, when he was telling me this story when I was like 15 or, or 17, something like that, that man, I, I wish I hadn't, I shouldn't have told her that. Cause then my season wasn't as good and all that. And I was like, dad, no, you know what? You did the right thing. You did the right thing. You took a risk and God took care of you because he still had a good season. He still finished okay. And look at all the other things that happened because of that. Other players who wouldn't have gotten to play got to play. Um, he still kept his job. And all the people who knew about that situation, especially the ones on the team, they respected my dad because of that as a coach, that he's not the kind of coach that's going to just let anybody do whatever. He gained so much by doing something risky like that. And still, he lost his best player. Yeah, it cost him to make that risk. But you know what? God took care of the situation. His team still had a good season. And you know what? God will do the same thing for you. God will take care of us. When he asks us to do something or be a certain way or hold a certain attitude, he's not asking us to do that and simply try it on our own. He has promised that he will be there with us, working through us and empowering us to even do it at all. So when God tells us to do something risky, it's not risk that we're really assessing. It's faith that we're assessing. Do we have enough faith to trust God to get us through this? And you know what? He can. He can. I think about Peter. Peter is one of my favorite characters in the scriptures. David is another one, but but Peter is just this awesome character because he did so many dumb things. And I can totally relate to that. I don't know if you can, but Peter was an idiot for so long before he was awesome. And even after he he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem and, and leader of the of the church there in in, Jeru- in uh, Israel, before any of that happened, you know what? Maybe after that he was still kind of an idiot. Who knows? But he definitely had a a little bit different kind of personality, I guess, uh, way about him after Christ left than when before Christ died and and resurrected and then then left them in charge. So Peter beforehand, uh, my favorite story about him is the one where he goes and he walks on the water. Okay. And if you ever noticed in most Bibles, the, the subheading that shows that little paragraph, what you're about to read, uh, is not Jesus walks on the water, but a lot of times it's Peter walks on the water. And I love it when it does that. And here's why. Because it's really not super impressive for Jesus to walk on the water. He's God. Yeah, he can do that kind of stuff. He walks out there and in Mark, it even says he intended to pass the boat by, probably because he couldn't get away and have his quiet time. All the people were following him. And the one place they can't follow him is the water. So let me just walk out out on that, which I love that about Jesus. But Peter sees him and all the disciples are in the boat and they see Jesus out there. I guess he was glowing or something because they thought they saw a ghost and they're really afraid. And as he comes closer, he's like, don't be afraid. It's just me, guys. It's just me. And so they're like, okay, this is really weird. But then Peter says, hey, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out there and I'll walk to you. And Jesus says, come on. So Jesus, so Peter gets out of the boat and starts to walk across the water. And then he sees the waves and he gets scared. And he's like, oh, and he starts to sing, Lord, save me. And he reaches out and grabs Jesus' hand. And Jesus brings him up and says, why did you doubt? You have little faith. And then we go, see, Peter had little faith. I think that's garbage. I, I, I don't think we should slam Peter for having, quote, little faith. You know why? Because he got out of the boat and walked on water. There was 11 other bozos that didn't even try. They were in the boat still. They were back there going, oh, it's a ghost. And Jesus was like, oh, no, it's me. And Peter's like, I'm going to go out and walk on. I'm walking the water too. If Jesus is doing it, I'm going to do it. 
He saw the risk and he did it anyway. Then he started to think about it. Oh no, this is too much for me. I can't do this on my own. And you know what? He sank because guess what, Peter? You're right. You can't do it on your own. But props to you for trying to go out there and live in faith. That's awesome. I can imagine later, you know, in all these sermons I hear about Peter, like Peter had little faith, the little faith of Peter. I'm like, man, I don't see it that way. He might have had a little faith, but it was still a lot more than those other guys. And sometimes it's a lot more, a lot of times it's a lot more than me. Maybe it's a lot more than you. And so when Peter goes out, he's at, at the campfire and they're like, yeah, Peter fell in the water. <laughs> he just fell in the water. He saw all the waves and got scared of Peter of little faith, you know? And, and so hey, I, if I were Peter, I'd say, okay, show of hands, guys. Anybody else walk on the water today? Nope. Just me and Jesus. Just me. Okay. All right. Shut up. Because that's, that's what we should see in what Peter did is that, yeah, he went out there. He might've even failed, but he walked on the water. He walked on the water with Jesus. And in our ministries, we have the opportunity to walk on water with Christ. He asks us to do some crazy stuff sometimes. You know what? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't look right. It's something we're like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid of this. But if we step out of the boat, God increases our faith and he prepares us for next steps and next things. And who knows what that's going to be? Because when we step out of the boat with Jesus, we walk on water and we have that story afterwards to tell others to increase their faith about who Christ is. It is not about getting just an experience. It's about growth with Christ. I know a lot of ministries that play it safe and they're inwardly focused and they call it discipleship. They're inwardly focused and they say, we're a teaching church. And you know what? I love churches that go really deep into scriptures, but I, I tend to see churches that are like that, that say that, that have no baptisms, no salvations listed. There is no growth uh, other than families moving from other churches or people moving into the neighborhood that are already Christians, there's not a lot of new, I didn't hear the gospel, I came here, I met Jesus, now I'm saved, stories happening in those places that at least you hear about. And, and that's what bothers me about a safe ministry. We sometimes hide behind our experiences or hide behind our knowledge. And Because I could easily tell a story about a charismatic church that's all about the crazy you know, experience of God and then there's nobody really truly coming to Christ. I mean, that's everywhere. Every church has situations like that. We can take things and hide behind them when we really truly are not taking the risk that God wants us to take. We're out here dancing around and saying, look at all these risks we're taking, God. And he's up there saying, yeah, great, but that's not what I ask you to do. I'm not judging you based on what you're doing. I'm judging you based on what I ask you to do. And we are called to take a risk, a gospel risk into our neighborhoods, into our relationships, into our schools, and into our workplaces. That is what a safe ministry encourages and equips and empowers people to do. So I challenge you with that. What is your ministry risk you're going to be taking today? Uh, I thank you for being here with me. God is going to increase your faith the more you step out in faith, because truly serving the Lord when he asks you to do risky things is not a measure of your, um, it's not a measure of your abilities. It's a measure of your faith. And so I ask you to step out in faith today, do something bold, make a confident decision and know exactly why you're doing it. Uh, today, go ahead and hit me up at sethmuse.com. I have a free ebook that I want to give you. If you'll sign up for my email list and stay connected, I would love to connect with you further. If you have anything to say to me, especially if it's good, hit me up in the comments. And if you want to would go to iTunes and rate this podcast and give me a quick review, that would truly help me out. I would really appreciate it. Thanks, you guys, for being with me. This is the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast, and I am out. See you later.